Section 6, Introduction During the winter of 1828 and 1829, Joseph Smith suffered the deepest anxiety. He had the plates and he had the interpreters, but since Martin Harris had gone back to Palmyra in disgrace, he had no one to act as scribe. His wife Emma tried to help him through a few pages, but the task of preparing meals and attending to winter chores prevented her from being of much help. Meanwhile, Joseph struggled to eke out a meager living on their small farm. On December the 23rd, 1828, Joseph reached his 23rd birthday. Meanwhile, up in Palmyra, circumstances were moving into place to fulfill God's promise to provide Joseph with a new scribe. A young schoolteacher named Oliver Cowdery had been boarding with the Smith family, and he had been extremely impressed with the things Father Smith had related to him concerning Joseph and the gold plates. He finally asked the Lord in humble prayer if this possibly could be true. To his amazement, he was strongly confirmed in his heart that this was indeed God's work. He kept this spiritual manifestation a secret, but resolved to visit Joseph as soon as the school term was out the latter part of March. It was right at this time the tragedy struck the Smith household. The time had come for the final payment of their large new home, but because of two crop failures, they pleaded for a little more time. However, the man who held the deed to the property refused. The Smith family was therefore compelled to move back to their original two-story log cabin located down the street where Hiram was now living. Mother Smith interpreted this heartbreaking loss of their home as just another trial of their faith and must be courageously borne. She therefore said to Oliver Cowdery, quote, Oliver, we cannot make you comfortable any longer and you will be under the necessity of taking boarding somewhere else. But the young school teacher replied, Mother, let me stay with you, for I can live in any log hut where you and father live, but I cannot leave you, so do not mention it. This is in the history of Joseph Smith by his mother, Lucy Mack Smith, on page 141. In the early spring, as soon as the school term was over, Oliver Cowdery made arrangements to join young Samuel Smith, who had planned to go to Harmony, Pennsylvania, and visit Joseph. However, it turned out to be a cold, miserable trip in freezing weather. Oliver Cowdery had part of his foot frostbitten. They therefore stopped to visit David Whitmer, a friend of Oliver living at Fayette, New York. Having rested briefly, the two men continued sloshing their way through ice and snow, until finally on Sunday evening, April the 5th, the two men arrived in Harmony, Pennsylvania. Joseph was thrilled to welcome them because he knew they had come in answer to prayer. In fact, their first evening was spent with Joseph, carefully reviewing his experiences thus far. Two days later, Oliver and Joseph commenced their work. Emma later described how they worked in the same room where she was preparing meals. The two men would sit on either side of a curtain, and Joseph used the Urim and Thummim to dictate the contents of the Book of Mormon as it was given to him by revelation. From the beginning, Oliver Cowdery was amazed. He later said, These were days never to be forgotten. 
to sit under the sound of a voice dictated by the inspiration of heaven awakened the utmost gratitude in this bosom. Day after day I continued uninterruptedly to write from his mouth as he translated from the Urim and Thummim, unquote. This is taken from the autobiography of Oliver Cowder by Stanley Gunn, page 35. Before long, Oliver became anxious to receive a revelation from the Lord concerning himself and the work he was doing. He requested Joseph to ask the Lord for a complete personal revelation on his behalf, and the result was section 6 in the Doctrine and Covenants. As we commence this revelation, it is interesting that the Lord began somewhat along the same lines as the revelation given to Joseph's father a short time before. The Lord said, A great and marvelous work is about to come forth unto the children of men. Behold, I am God. Give heed unto my word, which is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, to the dividing asunder of both joints and marrow. Therefore give heed unto my words. Behold, the field is white, all ready to harvest. Therefore whoso desireth to reap, let him thrust in his sickle with his might, and reap while the day lasts, that he may treasure up for his soul everlasting salvation in the kingdom of God. Yea, whosoever will thrust in his sickle and reap, the same is called of God. Therefore, if you will ask of me, you shall receive. If you will knock, it shall be opened unto you. Having made this sweeping declaration, the Lord then addressed himself to Oliver and said, Now as you have asked, behold, I say unto you, Keep my commandments, and seek to bring forth and establish the cause of Zion. Seek not for riches, but for wisdom, and behold, the mysteries of God shall be unfolded unto you, and then shall you be made rich. Behold, he that hath eternal life is rich. Now the Lord addressed Oliver as one of his future missionaries and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Even as you desire of me, so it shall be unto you. And if you desire, you shall be the means of doing much good in this generation. Say nothing but repentance unto this generation. Keep my commandments and assist to bring forth my work according to my commandments, and you shall be blessed. At this point the Lord began talking about a special gift that Oliver had been given. Behold, thou hast a gift, and blessed art thou because of thy gift. Remember, it is sacred, and cometh from above. And if thou wilt inquire, thou shalt know mysteries which are great and marvelous. Therefore thou shalt exercise thy gift, that thou mayest find out mysteries, that thou mayest bring many to the knowledge of the truth, yea, convince them of the error of their ways. Make not thy gift known unto any, save it be those who are of thy faith. Trifle not with sacred things. If thou wilt do good, yea, and hold out faithful to the end, Thou shalt be saved in the kingdom of God, which is the greatest of all the gifts of God.
for there is no gift greater than the gift of salvation. The Lord surprised Oliver as he began telling him something which was known only to Oliver himself. The Lord said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Blessed art thou for what thou hast done. For thou hast inquired of me, and behold, as often as thou hast inquired, thou hast received instruction of my spirit. If it had not been so, thou wouldst not have come to the place where thou art at this time. Oliver thought he had come to help Joseph on his own initiative, but the Lord said that if the Spirit had not planted this thought in his heart, he would not have come. This demonstrates that many times we act on an idea planted in our minds without realizing that the impulse came through the whispering of the Lord. Behold, thou knowest that thou hast inquired of me, and I did enlighten thy mind. And now I tell thee these things, that thou mayest know that thou hast been enlightened by the Spirit of truth. Yea, I tell thee, that thou mayest know that there is none else save God, that knowest thy thoughts and the intents of thy heart. I tell thee these things as a witness unto thee, that the words or the work which thou hast been writing are true. The Lord did not want Oliver to think all of this was mere coincidence. It was actually a spiritually scientific sign to demonstrate to Oliver that the things which Joseph was dictating to him were true. It must have caused Oliver to wonder how Joseph could translate with the Urim and Thummim at such a rapid rate. Joseph gave the revelatory translation as fast as Oliver could write. In fact, he put down the words without capital letters, periods, or other punctuation. There wasn't time between the sentences. No doubt Oliver assumed he would put these in later. Now Oliver Cowdery heard the Lord say something a false prophet would never have said. Therefore be diligent. Stand by my servant Joseph faithfully, in whatsoever difficult circumstances he may be for the word's sake. Admonish him in his faults, and also receive admonition of him. Be patient, be sober, be temperate, have patience, faith, hope, and charity. Imagine 21-year-old Oliver being commanded to admonish God's prophets in his faults. He could well imagine Joseph admonishing young Oliver as they continued their work together, but it was astonishing to hear himself being instructed to actually admonish this gifted servant of God who was translating the sacred record almost faster than he could write it down. Now the Lord makes Oliver a magnificent promise. Behold, thou art Oliver, and I have spoken unto thee because of thy desires. Therefore treasure up these words in thy heart. Be faithful and diligent in keeping the commandments of God, and I will encircle thee in the arms of my love. After this the Lord bears this testimony concerning himself. He says, Behold, I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I am the same that came unto mine own, and mine own received me not. I am the light which shineth in darkness, 
and the darkness comprehendeth it not. Notice that Jesus says that when he came upon the earth in the meridian of time, no man knew who he was, not even the apostles. All of the Jews thought he was the king Messiah spoken of by Daniel in the second chapter. They thought he would overthrow the Romans and set up the Jews in a kingdom that would last forever. When he didn't do that, the Jews decided he was an imposter and ascended to his death which was the penalty for anyone falsely claiming to be a Christ. Not until after Jesus was glorified did his apostles understand that they and all the Jews had been set up to help Jesus get through his redemptive sacrifice. The gospel writers say that even when Jesus said he would be crucified and raised up the third day, the Spirit took it out of their minds. This is referred to in Mark 9 and 32, Luke 1 and 34, and John 20 and 9. But later on the day of Pentecost, when Peter explained in Acts chapter 2 how the Lord had carefully arranged the whole affair so the Jews could help him through his redemptive sacrifice, then they caught on immediately and 3,000 promptly applied for baptism. A short time later, Peter gave the same sermon on the Temple Mount following the healing of a cripple, and this time 5,000 applied for baptism. This is described in Acts chapter 3 and the first four verses of chapter 4. The Lord now refers to the time when he answered Oliver's prayers, and he wants him to know that the Lord's communication was a spiritually scientific witness that the work in which Joseph was engaged is true. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if you desire a further witness, cast your mind upon the night that you cried unto me in your heart, that you might know concerning the truth of these things. Did I not speak peace to your mind concerning the matter? What greater witness can you have than from God? And now, behold, you have received a witness. For if I have told you things which no man knoweth, have you not received a witness? Next the Lord tells Oliver that in due time he might receive the same power to translate as that which Joseph possessed. This was a fantastic promise. And behold, I grant unto you a gift, if you desire of me to translate even as my servant Joseph. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that there are records which contain much of my gospel, which have been kept back because of the wickedness of the people. And now I command you that if you have good desires, a desire to lay up treasures for yourself in heaven, then shall you assist in bringing to light with your gift those parts of my scriptures which have been hidden because of iniquity. And now, behold, I give unto you, and also unto my servant Joseph, the keys of this gift, which shall bring to light this ministry, and in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. We note that Oliver is now being referred to as a second witness to the sacred work which Joseph is bringing forth to the world. We will learn more about this later. 
Verily, verily, I say unto you, if they reject my words, and this part of my gospel and ministry, blessed are ye, for they can do no more unto you than unto me. The Lord wants his servant to know that there are great risks involved in setting up the kingdom of God. There is no better example of what may happen to the servants of God than the trials and suffering of Jesus himself. And even if they do unto you, even as they have done unto me, blessed are ye, for you shall dwell with me in glory. But if they reject not my words, which shall be established by the testimony which shall be given, blessed are they, and then shall ye have joy in the fruit of your labors. Nevertheless, to the extent that God's servants are successful, there is great joy for those who labor in building up the kingdom. Of course, the Lord knew that in the beginning there would only be a few to initiate the kingdom and set an example for the multitude who would follow. And so he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, as I said unto my disciples, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, as touching one thing, behold, there will I be in the midst of them, even so am I in the midst of you. No matter how challenging and discouraging the work of the kingdom becomes at times, whoever prevails will reap tremendous rewards. Fear not to do good, my sons, for whatsoever ye sow, that shall ye also reap. Therefore if ye sow good, ye shall also reap good for your reward. Therefore fear not, little flock, do good. Let earth and hell combine against you, for if ye are built upon my rock, they cannot prevail. As long as God's missionaries and other servants are doing their best, the Lord is quick to forgive their faults and shortcomings. He says, Behold, I do not condemn you. Go your ways and sin no more. Perform with soberness the work which I have commanded you. Look unto me in every thought. Doubt not, fear not. Behold the wounds which pierced my side, and also the prints of the nails in my hands and feet. Be faithful, keep my commandments, and ye shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Section 7. Introduction. As Joseph Smith was translating 1 Nephi chapter 14 during April 1829, he came to a vision of the latter days when Satan would try to destroy the restored kingdom of God. As Nephi was describing what he saw in vision, Joseph Smith was anxiously waiting to see how it would all turn out. But the Lord said to Nephi, Quote, but the things which thou shalt see hereafter thou shalt not write. For the Lord God hath ordained the apostle of the Lamb of God that he should write them. And I, Nephi, heard and bear record that the name of the apostle of the Lamb was John, according to the word of the angel. Unquote. This is in First Nephi chapter 14, verses 25 and 27. 
So Nephi got to see what would happen during the great satanic struggle in the latter days, but he was not allowed to describe what he saw. This was a great disappointment to Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery, as it is to us. We must wait and see how it all turns out. The Book of Mormon says Nephi was allowed to see a vision of John in a white robe, but we don't know whether it was John in the spirit world or after his earth life. In any event, it caused Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery to discuss John chapter 21, verse 22, where Jesus said to Peter, quote, quote, If I will that he, John, tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Unquote. The scripture says that the other apostle misunderstood what Jesus meant and started the rumor that John would never die. Even Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery could not agree on the status of John the Beloved, and so they appealed to the Lord. The result was the seventh section of the Doctrine and Covenants. It turned out that John had written a parchment in which he explained what Jesus meant when he said that John would not taste of death, but would minister in the earth until the Lord came in glory. We do not know whether Joseph Smith saw the parchment and translated its contents, or whether section 7 is a direct revelation disclosing what the parchment contained. In this last chapter of John, we have the setting for this conversation between Jesus, Peter, and John. The scripture says that after Jesus implied that Peter would die a martyr, Peter saw John the Beloved nearby and said, quote, What shall this man do? Unquote. That's in John 21 and 21. And now we have the Savior's reply, which is the text of section 7. And the Lord said unto me, John, my beloved, what desirest thou? For if you shall ask what you will, it shall be granted unto you. And I said unto him, Lord, give unto me power over death, that I may live and bring souls unto thee. And the Lord said unto me, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Because thou desirest this, thou shalt tarry until I come in my glory, and shalt prophesy before nations, kindreds, tongues, and people. It is understandable why Peter would be puzzled by this amazing statement and probably expressed himself accordingly, whereupon the Savior said, And for this cause the Lord said unto Peter, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? For he desired of me that he might bring souls unto me. But thou desirest that thou mightest speedily come unto me in my kingdom. I say unto thee, Peter, this was a good desire. But my beloved has desired that he might do more or a greater work yet among men than what he has before done. Yea, he has undertaken a greater work. Therefore I will make him as flaming fire and a ministering angel. He shall minister for those who shall be heirs of salvation who dwell on the earth. But Jesus had some comforting words for Peter so that he would know that the blessing promised to John did not diminish in the slightest degree the high calling of Peter. We know from verse 6 that Jesus was talking to Peter when he said, 
and I will make thee to minister for him and for thy brother James. And unto you three I will give this power and the keys of this ministry until I come. Verily I say unto you, Ye shall both have according to your desires, for ye both joy in that which ye have desired. This last verse sounds very much like something Jesus said to the Nephite disciples who wanted to remain in the earth until Jesus came in glory. Here is the entire passage of Scripture in the Book of Mormon relating to them. Quote, and he, Jesus, said unto them, Behold, I know your thoughts, and ye have desired the thing which John, my beloved, who was with me in the ministry, before that I was lifted up by the Jews, desired of me. Therefore more blessed are ye, for ye shall never taste of death, but ye shall live to behold the doings of the Father unto the children of men, even all things shall be fulfilled according to the will of the Father when I shall come in my glory with the powers of heaven. And ye shall never endure the pains of death, and when I shall come in my glory ye shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye from mortality to immortality, and then shall ye be blessed in the kingdom of my Father." Unquote. That's Third Nephi chapter 28, verses 6 to 8. The Book of Mormon speaks of these choice beings as going through a transfiguration until the coming of the Lord when they will be changed in the twinkling of an eye into immortal, glorified beings. That promise is found in 3 Nephi chapter 28, verses 15 to 17. Section 8, Introduction the supreme exertion of spiritual power required to generate the revelatory capacity needed for the functioning of the Urim and Thummim was a tremendous drain on the physical and intellectual resources of Joseph Smith. As Joseph dictated hour after hour and day after day, the fatigue factor became apparent to Joseph's scribe. Would he dare to ask the Lord to let him help out by doing some of the translating? After all, the Lord had made a marvelous promise to Waller in a recent revelation. The Lord had said, quote, And behold, I grant unto you a gift, if you desire it of me, to translate even as my servant Joseph. Unquote. And that's in Doctrine and Covenant 6 and 25. As Joseph became increasingly weary toward the latter part of April 1829, Oliver decided to have Joseph request the Lord to let him help by using the Urim and Thummim and doing some of the translating. As a result of this request, Oliver received the eighth section of the Doctrine and Covenants. Oliver Cowdery, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that assuredly as the Lord liveth, who is your God and your Redeemer, even so surely shall you receive a knowledge of whatsoever things you shall ask in faith, with an honest heart, believing that you shall receive a knowledge concerning the engravings of old records, which are ancient, which contain those parts of my scripture, of which has been spoken by the manifestation of my spirit. Yea, behold, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart, by the Holy Ghost, which shall come upon you, and which shall dwell in your heart. 
Here the Lord has promised Oliver a chance to decipher the ancient script of the Nephites and receive by direct revelation the meaning of the markings on the gold plates. However, Joseph had not yet received permission to show anyone else the plates, and therefore we assume that he copied off a few lines of script so Oliver could learn how to interpret the engravings, using, of course, the Urim and Thummim, just as Joseph Smith had done in the beginning. Now behold, this is the spirit of revelation. Behold, this is the spirit by which Moses brought the children of Israel through the Red Sea on dry ground. The Lord is acquainting Oliver with the type of revelation which is involved in using the Urim and Thummim. It does not consist of translating in the ordinary sense of the word. Instead, it consists of the Holy Ghost actually telling the so-called translator what the engravings meant in English so they could be dictated to the scribe. We call this revelatory translation. This is why Joseph would dictate the Nephite record so rapidly. The actual text was being revealed to Joseph. Of course, there are different kinds of revelation. The whisperings of the Holy Ghost is the simplest kind. Oliver had already received this type of revelation in answer to his prayers. But there is also the open revelation which Joseph received when he saw the Father and the Son. It was also open revelation when Moroni came to Joseph five different times in 24 hours. There are also revelations in the form of visions, which is the Lord's favorite teaching tool. Therefore this is thy gift. Apply unto it, and blessed art thou, for it shall deliver you out of the hands of your enemies, when, if it were not so, they would slay you and bring your soul to destruction. O oh, remember these words, and keep my commandments. Remember, this is your gift. Now the Lord says that Oliver's special gift at that time is to have the Holy Ghost reveal to his mind the knowledge which God desires to convey to him. It is the same kind of spiritual guidance which gave Moses direction when he led the children of Israel through the Red Sea. In other words, he didn't have an open vision. He simply listened to the whispering of the Spirit or the Holy Ghost. Oliver is warned that there are great perils lying ahead for him and that if he will listen to the whisperings of the Spirit, it will save his life. But the Lord wants Oliver to know that revelation by the whispering of the Spirit is not his only gift. The Lord says, Now this is not all thy gift, for you have another gift, which is the gift of Aaron. Behold, it has told you many things. This must have puzzled Oliver. What gift of revelation has told him many things already? Obviously, it was the revelation which Joseph received for him through the Urim and Thummim. So, is the Urim and Thummim the gift of Aaron? Behold, there is no other power save the power of God that can cause this gift of Aaron to be with you. Therefore, doubt not, for it is the gift of God and you shall hold it in your hands and do marvelous works. And no power shall be able to take it away out of your hands, for it is the work of God. 
Every student of the Old Testament knows that Aaron was given custody of the Urim and Thummim and wore it in a beautiful breastplate which he always kept with him. Aaron not only received revelations, but when difficult decisions had to be made in the administration of the law, Aaron would receive God's judgment by direct revelation. So the power to receive revelation through the Urim and Thummim is the gift of Aaron. And Oliver is told that he will be allowed to hold these precious interpreters in his hands so that he may receive this great gift. And therefore, whatsoever you shall ask me to tell you by that means, that will I grant unto you, and you shall have knowledge concerning it. The great gift of the Urim and Thummim is the fact that it can be the means of gaining all kinds of knowledge. But then the Lord gives Oliver a warning. Remember that without faith you can do nothing. Therefore, ask in faith. Trifle not with these things. Do not ask for that which you ought not. Oliver does not know it, but he will have more difficulty using the Urim and Thumb than he presently realizes. His problem will be taking these sacred interpreters too casually. They must be used with the most profound faith, and no request should be made for things that are merely trivia. Now the Lord emphasizes the things for which these interpreters should be used. Ask that you may know the mysteries of God, and that you may translate and receive knowledge from all those ancient records which have been hid up, that are sacred, and according to your faith shall it be done unto you. Behold, it is I that have spoken it, and I am the same that spake unto you from the beginning. Amen. The Lord wants Oliver to be entirely assured that this revelation is not Joseph Smith talking, but the very God of heaven. Section 9. Introduction. Here is a real heartbreak for Oliver Cowdery. Apparently he took the Urim and Thummim in hand and tried to interpret the copies of engravings which we think Joseph copied from the plates so that Oliver could learn how to use these sacred interpreters. We're not able to make certain from this section exactly what went wrong. Either Oliver actually started to translate and then lost his ability to continue it, or he set out to translate and never quite succeeded, because he didn't continue as he began. In either case, he must have been bitterly disappointed as he finally gave up and went back to acting as a scribe while Joseph did the actual translating. The Lord begins this section in a comforting mode. Behold, I say unto you, my son, that because you did not translate according to that which you desired of me, and did commence again to write for my servant Joseph Smith, Jr., even so I would that ye should continue until you have finished this record, which I have entrusted unto him. The big jolt to Oliver in this verse is the fact that he is instructed to be satisfied with his assignment as a scribe until the entire Book of Mormon has been translated. And then, behold, other records have I, that I will give unto you power that you may assist to translate. Be patient, my son, for it is wisdom in me, and it is not expedient that you should translate at this present time. 
Behold, the work which you are called to do is to write for my servant Joseph. The Lord comforts Oliver with the promise that there are many records to be translated, and he will perhaps have that opportunity later on. Unfortunately, however, the church fell under condemnation for reasons set forth in section 84, verses 54 to 58. And because we have remained under condemnation, according to verse 57, we have not yet qualified to receive nearly two-thirds of the gold plates. We cannot help but wonder if it was the book of Joseph, that is, the brass plates, and the prophetic history of the world written by the brother of Jared, which the Lord wanted Oliver to assist in translating. We know that Moroni included these precious scriptures in the gold plates, and the Lord says the members of the church have not yet qualified to receive them. President Ezra Taft Benson prayed in open conference in 1988 that the Lord would let us have these records, but we have not received them. The Lord says the whole church must be worthy of them, not just the prophet. The Lord even specifies why we haven't received these records. He says we have taken the part we have already received too lightly. It was for this very reason that we recorded the entire Book of Mormon on tapes, together with a verse-by-verse commentary in hopes that the saints would really catch the spirit of this inspired book and no longer treat it lightly or casually as the Lord apparently feels we have done thus far. And behold, it is because that you did not continue as you commenced when you began to translate that I have taken away this privilege from you. It is this verse which leaves us somewhat puzzled. We cannot tell for certain whether Oliver actually did a little translating and then lost the gift, or whether he started out correctly but did not continue to the point where he could actually use the Urim and Thummim. In any event, the Lord now describes how the Urim and Thummim operates. Do not murmur, my son, for it is wisdom in me that I have dealt with you after this manner. Behold, you have not understood, you have supposed, that I would give it unto you, when you took no thought save it was to ask me. But behold, I say unto you, that you must study it out in your mind. Then you must ask me if it be right, and if it is right, I will cause that your bosom shall burn within you. Therefore you shall feel that it is right. But if it be not right, you shall have no such feelings. But you shall have a stupor of thought that shall cause you to forget the thing which is wrong. Therefore you cannot write that which is sacred, save it be given you from me. This is a very important verse. It gives the Lord's insurance policy that no one will be allowed to insert their private opinions or otherwise subvert the pure gospel of Christ. Now, if you had known this, you could have translated. Nevertheless, it is not expedient that you should translate now. Behold, it was expedient when you commenced, but you feared, and the time is past, and it is not expedient now. For do you not behold that I have given unto my servant Joseph sufficient strength, whereby it is made up? And neither of you have I condemned. 
It is interesting that Oliver's anxiety to help Joseph was justified, and when he first asked for permission to translate, it was expedient. However, the Lord says it is no longer necessary because he has given Joseph additional strength so he can continue to the end. Verse 11 indicates that the reason Oliver failed was because he feared. It may have been that the surge of revelation that came over him as he commenced his experimental translation really frightened him, and like Peter, who was walking on the water, his faith failed him, and he began to sink. Nevertheless, both Joseph and Oliver learned something from this experience, and the Lord assures them that, quote, neither of you have I condemned, unquote. Do this thing which I have commanded you, and you shall prosper. Be faithful, and yield to no temptation. Stand fast in the work wherewith I have called you, and a hair of your head shall not be lost, and you shall be lifted up at the last day. Amen. The closing verses come from a loving Savior who seems to be saying, quote, Carry on, carry on, all is well. All is well. We hope you're enjoying this podcast by W. Cleon Skousen. To find additional books and recordings on this and other topics, please visit skousenlibrary.com.